The great comparative literature and mythology professor Joseph Campbell once said, follow your bliss and don't be afraid. And doors will open where you did not know they were going to be. The spirit of the podcast is to learn how former Wego Wildcats followed their bliss and for us to get inspired and learn from their stories. Welcome to Wego Places. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at West Chicago High School since 2001. Today's guest is 2012 Wego graduate Emily Workins. After Wego, Emily attended the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she earned her bachelor's in science and zoology and biological aspects of conservation. While at Madison, she was an undergraduate researcher at the Harlow Primate Lab, where, among many cool things, she tested the primate species, the macaques, with joystick video games for cognition studies. Emily's studies also brought her to England and Tanzania. While in Tanzania, she established field research methods, including animal surveys, transect sampling, behavioral observations, individual animal identifications, and camera trapping. She also completed a month-long directed research project on the attitudes and awareness of African painted dogs, the Lekeon Pictus, in the Tangerie Manyara ecosystem. Emily worked at the Brookfield Zoo as a keeper aide in the Pachyderm Australia House. Currently, Emily is a zookeeper at the world-famous San Diego Zoo, specializing in the urban jungle and Australian outback. Okay, we are welcoming Emily Warkins, class of 2012. Emily, tell us about uh, what you do. Yeah, so um, I am currently a zookeeper at the San Diego Zoo, um, and then I work within the mammal department, um, so all furry things. Um, well, there are some birds in there, but mostly all mammals. Um, and then specifically within that large mammal department, the area I'm in, it's called Urban Jungle, Australian Outback. It's really just proximity and what's close to each other. Um, so we take care of everything from giraffe to koalas to meerkats um, to all sorts of other things. Honey badgers are also in our department. Um, and then, uh, so yeah, so the department covers a wide variety of marsupials and large mammals and then a lot of small carnivores. Um, and it's a pretty multifaceted role. Uh, you do a lot of cleaning during the day so it's not very glamorous um, but it covers everything from being responsible to feeding the animals to administering any of the medications that they might have um, and then you also maintain the exhibits uh, conduct any behavioral observations that are necessary uh, we do a lot of positive reinforcement training with our animals and getting them to participate in their health care and showing all sorts of natural behaviors um, and then we also provide environmental enrichment or experiences for the animals to keep them engaged with their environment um, and then in a really big part of being a zookeeper too is educating the public about wildlife and conservation so it's kind of a lot in one role but it's a very fun job it's, it sounds I, I could ask you questions all day about this so i'll just kind of start teeing off what animal do you seem to enjoy working with most um, you know, I thought so originally, I was definitely a primate person. Um, and then I started working with a lot of other different species. Um, so I definitely would say I gravitate towards the large mammals a lot. Um, but from elephants down, I'm not necessarily an elephant person, but giraffe and rhinos are two of my favorite species to work with. Um, and then it's another species that I am really enjoying right now that I never anticipated to like as much is actually a, all the guys in the marsupial family. Um, Tasmanian devils specifically are pretty awesome. Um, and then any of the really smart guys that are kind of underrated. So like honey badgers are really fun to work with um, in a challenge in a good way. And then there's also 
also this species called the Fusa. They're, um, if anybody's seen the movie Madagascar, they're the, the predator in that. They're a really cool species, and we actually randomly have a lot of them at the zoo. Um, so they've been really cool to work with. They're really smart, and they're really challenging to work with as well. So I don't have a specific favorite, but I kind of like a little bit from everything. Uh, that sounds so, so interesting. And here's, here's another uh, question for you, which is what – and I think you mentioned this a little bit when you were – talking about the honey badger, what have been some examples of the surprising intelligence of these animals that have kind of kind of put you back on your heels? Like, well, I wouldn't have expected them to have done that. Yeah, so um, so basically, so with them, so you, you never go in with a honey badger for obvious reasons. Uh, you'll right. move them to one area, lock them over, and then you go into another area. Um, and with them, we, you know, we hide their food in different places and challenging places. And the funny thing is, is they like remember where we put them the day before. So they'll go and check all those places that you put them the previous day, and then they'll go into other things. So their memory is really fascinating. Um, so that's been pretty impressive. And then just their strength, like they figured out how to rip off their drinkers. They're like these stainless steel drinkers, and then they're able to drink like directly from the water line. And then you'll try and replace it and think it's in like a harder way to rip off, but they still figure out how to do it. And um, so that stuff is always really interesting. You know, you kind of just underestimate how smart they are um, and they just prove you wrong every day. So <laughs> that's I, I always remember hearing some of the great stories about how clever the honey badgers are. It's 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 funny. So let's start with your path to get to the San Diego Zoo. And I remember when you were applying to schools in high school, you were going to study uh, primates at the University of, of Wisconsin, Madison. And that's the last that we knew when we signed <laughs> off there. And you've done some incredible traveling and your studies have brought you to so many great different countries and different places. But if you could kind of talk about your wandering path. Yeah, so it, it started in high school, actually. So my first exposure to zoos um, was I was a volunteer my summer after junior year. Um, and it was just the basic, like, you a kid in a bright green polo with some biofac, like a lion skull or something, talking in front of animal exhibits. Um, but because of that, we got a lot of exposure to things. Um, and so then that was kind of when it solidified. That was something that I definitely was interested in going into. Um, so then when I started looking at colleges, University of Wisconsin-Madison has an amazing um, just environmental sciences and conservation. They actually have a lot of really um really cool primatologists that work there too. So that was a huge draw for me. Um, and then I also, having older siblings and knew that they studied abroad, I looked up, um, before I even applied to schools, I looked up all their study abroad options. Um, and University of Wisconsin-Madison had an option to go to Tanzania. Um, so those are things I was already thinking about um, my junior and senior year. Um, so that sort of led me to that pathway. Um, and then from there, I've had quite a few jobs and internships. Um, I In a lot of my summers, I worked in the education department at Brookfield Zoo. Um, there's actually a field called conservation psychology, so how to get little kids invested in nature and the wildlife um, from a young age. So I worked in a building within Brookfield Zoo doing education stuff. Um, and then the one summer, I got an internship over in England, uh, which was really crazy 
crazy kind of how it happened. It ended up being I was like more of a volunteer position and uh, stayed with some family friends that lived conveniently near a really cool wildlife park. Um, and I worked with gorillas for about six weeks. Um, and that was really amazing. It's a cool place. It's called the Aspinall Foundation. Um, and then the specific park is Portland. Um, and so at that point, I was like, I'm totally primates. I love great apes. And that's what I want to do forever. And then at that point, I was kind of toying if I wanted to do a more zookeeper profession or actually go into research. Um, and so then my sophomore year of college, um, I actually got an undergraduate research position working in a primate lab. Um, and for three years, um, I worked with a really awesome primatologist. Um, and her focus was, um, it actually was, if anyone's familiar with Harry Harlow, um, my lab was the same room that he used to work in, which was really cool. Um, and things have totally changed since how 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 things were when he was there. Um, but basically our focus was providing environmental enrichment or experiences to um, monkeys in situations that aren't ideal, right? Unfortunately, we have a lot of them in research facilities. So um, we did a wide thing. Basically, we tested fun games and puzzle feeders for them and seeing how effective it was and if it had any positive effects on their neurology and um, behavior. Um, and another big focus we had is they actually played video games um, with a joystick. And so we would set up this joystick video game system. And then from the different games that they would play, they're all pretty simple, like following a maze and that sort of thing. You could tell these all these cognitive measures about their motor manipulation and that sort of thing. Um, and so that was a really amazing experience in college. Um, and then my junior year of college was when I studied abroad. So I was kind of doing primatology things. And then I did wildlife ecology when I went to Tanzania. Um, and I spent five months there. And that was amazing. We lived in a small village um, in between Serengeti National Park and like Tarangiri National Park. If anybody's familiar with those, probably not, but in between two, two really cool national parks. Um, and they immersed us in the culture. We lived in a rural village. We did a lot of stuff with the community members. Um, and then we all had independent research projects and spent about three weeks camping in these um, different na wildlife nature areas. Um, so that, that was amazing. Amazing. Yeah, it was, it was awesome. It was really eye-opening. Yeah, um, I think we're not always aware of, I think we always kind of lump Africa as a giant continent, and then we see all the cool things that are there when we're actually there. So, And they totally threw us off into all these crazy experiences, and we're like, all right, go ahead, guys, go, you're only going to be with the translator that you've never met before for four hours interviewing local people, and you'll be fine. So um, that was really, really cool. And we got to see, obviously, seeing those, being in the Serengeti National Park and seeing all those animals, we got to see the wildebeest migration, all that really cool stuff. So um, that was an amazing experience. Um, and that was when I was like, okay, I totally want to do wildlife ecology. I want to go to grad school for that stuff. Um, and, uh, and that kind of set me off to my senior year um, where I graduated a semester early um, and was kind of in the middle of what do I go in. Um, oh, and I also had another internship in between there too was being a zookeeper at Brookfield Zoo. So um, I worked with the giraffe and the African painted dogs, the Mexican gray wolves, and that kind of another mammal department, which is similar to what I work to now. So um, then senior year was kind of when I uh, weighed my options of being a zookeeper, going to grad school for um, research or conservation research. Um, and as you can see now, I ended up going the zookeeper route. Um, and uh, it was just sort of more of a, because I had such an amazing experience at Brookfield and I got hired on as, a, as an intro keeper. And then I kind of fell in love with it from there um, and knew that I could always go back to grad school if that was something I really wanted to. And then it kind of took me on my path from there. What was your research in, in Tanzania? 
Um, so I actually studied um, the, uh, so they're also known as um, African wild dogs. The real name that people are trying to call them now is African painted dogs. So it has a more positive connotation. Um, but they thought that they were locally extinct in the area that we were living or that our um, uh, our field program was in. Um, and so it was, it's a cool, interesting area where there's some national parks, but there's also um, the Maasai live there. So they've got their communities and then there's some different land management areas. And I thought that they were no longer there. Um, and we were extremely lucky that we, when we were in one of the national parks, we saw a pack of them, a pack of like 20 African wild dogs. And they're a really cool social carnivore. They're one of the most endangered predators in Africa. Um, so it was this amazing, like, oh, my God, are they here again? Uh, so me and another girl um, actually went around for two weeks interviewing the local villagers and trying to find out about what their attitudes were and their awareness and where else they've seen the dogs. Um, and as it turned out that they were around a lot more than we were aware of. Um, and so it initiated um, this whole program. So all the information we found was the baseline to pitch to um, ecologists at the, wild, or at the National Park. And now they've got a conservation initiative to protect this pack and potentially another pack that now live in the area and um, so that was a really awesome program to work with that's so that is so uh, interesting that you were able to discover something i wouldn't say discover but you were able to confirm whether or not the uh the animals where you thought they had been eradicated from that particular region and just with your uh, intuition and just uh, the, the the ability to track it how did you how did you learn how to 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 notice how the the nature would reflect the clues to be able to find the animals um i mean i imagine what you start from what you read in books but then when you have boots on the ground and learn that what was that process of just kind of learning how to read the land um yeah so we basically totally relied on the local people um the Maasai are really interesting um they still they maintain their traditions as much as possible but it's funny because they'll be riding like their bicycle but they still have solar panels on their huts that they live in and have cell phones and so they're this really cool culture and they're so open to sharing and basically we just ask them everything because they're so observant and for the most part they're pastoralists so they live among the wildlife um and so they were able to take us around and show us these hill areas where they knew that they denned and spent time um, and then that way you kind of have to change because a lot of times you are always stuck on what the literature says and what everything like scientists are telling you this is where they are but then when you actually talk to the community members um, it changes your perception perception of what actually is happening especially with the changing environments we have everywhere in the world um, so they were just telling us where they saw where they would run through um, and then different signs of them. And then we actually would interview some of the elders who had seen the land change from, you know, the last, you know, anywhere from 60 to 80 years and then tell us, you know, where the animals um, used to occur and then now where they're seeing them occur now. So um, we basically just a lot, relied on a lot, a lot on oral history and what they had to tell us. So um, that was a really cool experience. So could you tell me what you are working on now? You sound like you were in terms of the educational component of that, of working with the public as they come into the zoo, what does that um, what does that entail? 
Um, yeah, so they have, people have a lot of questions all the time. Um, and I think just people's general, it's fast for me, I take it for granted because we're around these animals all the time, but people genuinely, it makes sense. There's so much that they don't know and it's great that they're really interested. Um, and a lot of the areas that we work in are very public facing. Um, our draft exhibit is totally in the public and we can't clean it before the zoo opens. So we're often stuck raking with like 20 guests asking us questions for a really long time. Um, so we're available for any questions that they have and um, so we always really enjoy talking about that um, and then something else that zoos really push as well is um, they are just called zookeeper talks or chats um, and so they're scheduled every day and we provide some sort of experience to get our animals active and engaged with whatever environment they're in and then we just talk about them for you know any it should only be 15 minutes but it usually ends up being anywhere from half an hour to 45 minutes with all the questions that we have um, so that's something that we do on a daily basis and then we also have behind the scenes tours that we'll take people on um, especially there's big donor tours that we bring people around. Um, and then similar to when I was a volunteer at Brookfield Zoo, um, San Diego Zoo also has like a zoo core program where they've got high school students that are then around the zoo and that way they can then get involved too. So keepers are involved as much as possible from as little as answering questions to guests to doing some more formalized zoo talks and experiences. I think the public has so many questions and I think their heart is usually in the right place from your standpoint obviously converse, conservation is such an important feature of your work and your continued work to uh, protect uh, wildlife. What are some of the things that the public probably needs to know or maybe uh, maybe do some type of change in behavior that could be help those um, help the, 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 the process of such conservation? Um, yeah, I think a huge one is just, um, well, just awareness is the first step, right? So um, I work a lot with the giraffe, and so we, uh, giraffe are going through a silent extinction, and that's like a really iconic species that everyone kind of knows from the age of two up. Um, and so just making sure people are aware of every single species is vulnerable, and then just having that conservation, or that conversation with everyone, I think that's always a good first step, is just making sure that they're open-minded to what else is going on in the world besides things that are related to just the human species. Um, and then obviously there's some personal life choices that we do like to push that are more conservation minded. Um, a big one that people don't like to hear a lot is um, eating less red meat specifically, um, because one of the biggest issues in the world is how much uh, domesticated animals we have versus wildlife and how that requires us to feed them and they overgraze land. Um, and it just creates methane as one of the worst uh, contributors to um, the global warming. So I'm telling people like, hey, if you're really conscious of your meat consumption, then down the road, it can maybe decrease the amount of domestic animals that we have that's putting a lot of pressure on our on our wildlife. Um, and so the way to make it sound a little bit happier is we just say meatless Mondays is always a good first step to have. And it's good personal life choice and it helps everybody else. Um, so those life choices are really important. And I just tell people to, you know, watch nature documentaries. It's a really easy thing to do um, and just all keeping really interested. And that way you have that mental connection um, that the way you live your life, it's not just about the human species. You know, we've got this entire planet that's interconnected. So those are some things we kind of try to push. And of course, recycling and all that other stuff. But uh, the Meatless Mondays is like our big push right now. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can imagine, you know, that that, that type of connect, connection between behavior and outcomes is just that's part of the educational effort for sure. There was uh, something else I was going to ask. How? What are the things that still keep you excited at your job? 
Um, a lot of things, uh, probably because our animals just like prove us wrong on a daily basis. Um, <laughs> like there's still so much that um, that we want. We don't know about them yet. And especially if, uh, working in a zoo setting, you know, you have this more controlled environment. So when they are, you're studying them in the wild, there's all these confounding variables that you might not notice, but we're able to see them, um, you know, eight hours a day, every day. Um, and so that always is really interesting when you think that they aren't capable of doing something and they are. Um, but I also think we're, it's a, it's a really cool point in the zoo field right now where it's transitioning to, um, this having really high standards and using all these science um, based methods and making sure that we're as involved as conservation as possible. Um, so there's some really cool people involved. So I've got some amazing coworkers um, that always challenge me every day and uh, makes me think outside of the box. Um, and uh, uh, the, continuing to educate myself outside of the work bubble too, and making sure, you know, we do kind of get in our own thing and we're thinking about what Nikki the giraffe is doing and she's one individual in the whole world. Um, and so making sure you're aware of what else is going on in the conservation field. So I'm really nerdy and have my like newsletters and articles and podcasts and documentaries that I watch that I'm always like, oh, we saw this in the wild. Is that something that we can do in the zoo? So I'm surrounding myself with great people and, and keeping myself as educated as That I sounds can. like an actually a, a great first tip for my last question, which was, you know, tips for success was how you continue to surround yourself with material in the and the topic that excites you the most, uh, intellectually speaking, and to kind of validate your intellectual and professional curiosity, how those things kind of line up. What what are other tips of success that you would maybe uh, tell us about? Um, yeah, I think definitely not learning what I learned in the last year and how happy I am with my current position. Um, not being afraid to go out of your comfort zone, especially right when you graduate college. I think it's a really scary time and you feel like there's this traditional trajectory where you get a full time nine to five job and, you know, that's what you do and you keep working it up. Um, but zookeeping is kind of this non-traditional, you don't work full time right away and you have to work up towards it um, and be, and move when, if there's a great job opportunity, don't be afraid to move to a different area. Um, I think it really challenged me personally um, and only made me a better person and learned a lot about myself and then was able to reach a really awesome goal um, just because I didn't stay in the same place that I could have ended up staying my whole life. So I think that's a huge one. Um, I also really push if anyone's interested in the sciences or anything, um, doing undergraduate research is amazing. Um, you'll form a really great connection with a professor who can be a great mentor for you. Um, and just knowing those research methods and what's available in colleges and universities um, is really just great life skill in general. So, and then, yeah, surrounding yourself with a great support group too is, is incredibly important. Uh, Emily, thank you so much. It's been so interesting and inspiring to hear all the th cool things that you've been doing and the the incredible path that it's got you to uh, to the San Diego Zoo and and your continued work with at the zoo and potential research down the line. This has been uh, a great conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to We Go Places. If you know of a great guest for this podcast, send me an email at b-t-u-r-n-b-a-u-g-h at d94.org. Music provided by Joe Villacat.